Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I will cut out your tongue, I will gouge out your eyes, and I will kill you. Why? Jakuni ku kyoshuku. The weak are meat, the strong eat. We're talking Terror Season 2, Episode 4. Let's go. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Welcome to... That's a The Terror. Season 2, Episode 4, we're talking about the weak are meat that the strong eat. Great episode, another awesome and very slow burn. I mean, I guess they really put the burn and slow burn at the end of this one, but we're going to be talking all about it. We're talking about Chester, we're talking about Luz, and we're talking about the camp and all the things going on. We got a lot of stuff within that. But oh, yeah. uh, I'm hosting tonight, filling in for Danny Roy, Stephen Lemieux here. Uh, I'm a big fan of this show. I've been keeping up to date every single week, and I've been breaking it down every week on my own. So I'm really oh, excited yeah. to have some people to break it down with. But joining me, as always, is the regular panel. We have Anais Lucia. Hi, everyone. And we have Benjamin Schnau. What's up, everybody? And I'm I have so to scared. say, that was the craziest opening I've ever heard, my friend. It was a pretty good <laughs> opening. And, guys, I want to get into overall thoughts really quick. What were your thoughts on this episode? Um, Just the ending. Wow. I feel like... The- <laughs> I feel like the, la- the they have this like tendency now with like the they leave you with just like with the, your mouth open and I like that so keep doing it it's awesome because like you know at first it kind of seems like maybe there's maybe this especially in this episode maybe not too much was gonna happen in terms of like like kind of scary horror stuff it was more like suspenseful and then at the end it's like yeah there's stuff that's gonna happen and right. we saw some graphic stuff so yeah it was pretty awesome for me and, and it never stopped to be honest i mean every scene that started every new scene there was always something crazy happening people die people jumping on of a building and then she's losing the twins i saw that coming though i don't know how you feel about that but oh. it was a little predictable to be honest I don't okay know. i don't think her losing the twins was predictable at all really? honestly yeah. i thought that okay. that was kind of the the big, the big mystery of the episode is why did she lose the twins? We we get into a little bit of the mystification of what twins mean in Japanese cult, in mm. old Japanese culture, but we also get a question mark raised in that was Yuko blaming the doctor for his lack of ability, or did the doctor actually do something malicious to end up with the babies dying? That's the question that I have at the end of the episode that I'd be interested to find out if the doctor actually, based on his beliefs and twins being a bad omen, possibly did something to cause the stillbirth or cause the suffocation of the babies. Interesting. So I I thought the episode had a a lot of strong parts. It was a really well-written episode in that Mm. usually you don't get too many... Uh, wartime stories that do the letter writing correctly. Mm-hmm. This episode did a really great job of creating the timeline of 
not just immediately having them read the read the letters, but making it span the timeline of what her pregnancy would be, as opposed to just being like, oh, I read this letter. Okay, now on to the next letter, on to the next letter. Mm-hmm. You could tell the time had passed since they wrote the letter and sent them. Right. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is we're, we're telling a story while narrating things that were being talked about having happened months prior. So yeah. we're under the assumption that it's several several days or even weeks between these letters mm. getting to Luce and getting to Chester. Mm-hmm. And we do set the tone for Chester being on the other side of the world. Uh, we, we know that they flew to Australia before flying up to uh, where he was stationed. Little canal. Yeah, and we also get that it's not straight up like that easy to communicate with anyone, especially when they're in these internment camps. Mm-hmm. So the, the line of communication is very, very... You know, the fact that he can communicate is only because he's a soldier. I don't think anyone outside of the military can really communicate well with the people inside the internment camps at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his station didn't even know that him and Ogawa were going to be involved. Like, they were just keeping it under wraps because they didn't want to, like, rustle the jimmies of all the people who were, who were the, sol- the Marines who were in that area. So, we're going to break it down by going through Chester. We're going to talk about his new bunkmate, Ogawa. We're going to talk about the whole Cretendon storyline, as well as how the letters kind of have played into this character and how it might work out later. Uh, breaking down Luce, we have a little bit with Yuko, but mostly Yuko spreads herself throughout Luce's storyline in this moment. Uh, Henry, obviously, is a big part of this episode. The twins and what that means for culture, as well as the birth and how sad that could be. And then we're going to move on to the camp, which is celebrating its bonfire. Uh, and then as well as the suicide of Nestler and the you know ramifications of that suicide and how Yuko's actions are kind of causing things to be very difficult. Um, then we're going to go into our special segment, of mm-hmm. course, and news and gossip and predictions. So let's go ahead and talk about Chester. What were your first thoughts on Ogawa? Were you thinking that he was going to be the superstitious type or were you surprised that he was just kind of like business as usual, like let's just get the job done? Well, he's younger, so I wasn't really surprised because I, f- I feel like it's more like the older generation that's more into believing, like, you know, this, kind of like the old tales and stuff like that. So I wasn't really um, that surprised, but I'm glad he kind of like hmm. Chester has a friend there. Um, yeah, but I, I think he's just scared of it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I think he, he knows that this could be possible. But he doesn't want to see the truth. I think he just wants to push it away a little bit, to be honest. He just wants to get the job done. But Chester is more like that. He's visualizing it even now. So he basically sees it's coming now. I think when he basically got to this um, this camp of military, he basically started to seeing things that he didn't see before at the camp with the family. Yeah, which and is Chester's like... You know. ch- uh, well, you're talking about Chester, right? Yeah, yeah, not, yeah. not Ogawa. No, no, Chester. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, with Ogawa, it's interesting because I feel like he he is jaded by the war. He's he's somebody who is more realistic in his beliefs because yeah. I feel like he's been there much longer than Chester. Mm-hmm. Uh, you notice that through just his his instincts with regards to warfare. He's like, are you really going to go outside and be using a flash camera at night? Like that's a very easy way to just get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's more realistic. At like anytime Chester's bringing up the the yure, uh, anytime any officers around, he's like, chill down. Because what's Chester going to do? Yeah, he's talking about a spirit. Uh, They're not going to be on board with that at all. So Ogawa's going to be an interesting one because I think so far what we've seen, the Yure hasn't really interacted with him at all. And 
this goes to this this is a really interesting character dynamic shift for Chester because originally our entire belief system for episodes one through three is that Yuko, who is the Yurei in this instance, is chasing Chester. Mm-hmm. And they tell Chester to run away. Yeah. But at the end of last episode we learn that she's after the baby. Mm-hmm. And she did not follow him to mm-hmm. that area. Yeah. And even if some aspect of it, or if there's another spirit, did I want to know what you guys think really quick. What do you think... Do you think that he's still being haunted by a spirit of some sorts out in uh, Guadalcanal? Or do you think that his lack of sleep is what caused the hallucinations and anything that he's attributing to spirit relations? No, I think he's still forced by his, by a higher power, to be honest. Because what we learned is that Officer Crittenden at some point is saying that he serves Admiral... Uh, Takahashi, mm-hmm. which is interesting to me. So I'm still trying to figure out like if Yuko and Takahashi are kind of if they have a connection with each other. You know what I mean? That's what I'm still trying to figure out because now at the end of the day, what I'm feeling is that Yuko probably also wanted to save the kids in a way and she wanted to have the babies even. But now that she lost them, she's trying to blame it on the doctor in a way and trying to basically get it from there. You know, so, so I don't really know. I don't really feel like how I should think about Yuko at the moment, because at the beginning, I clearly thought she just wants to go after Chester and she wants to kill him at some point. Or something so do you like think that. so, you know, again, answer the question. Do you think Yuko is involved in anything going on with Chester this episode? No. Okay. I think in my in my opinion, I think she is. I feel like she's you know because she's a spirit. I feel like she could be any place she wants to be. Um, so I'm, this whole time, I thought it was just mostly her. You know, that was causing all all of this, and that she kind of like possessed uh, Crittenden. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it is all her. So I think what this show is doing is is really smart is they're basically trying to draw comparisons between the terror of reality and the terror of the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And they're doing this in such a way that we've already been introduced to the horrors of what a yure can have on a close compact people within the internment camps. Mm-hmm. And it's also basically showing us the ramifications of that through what actually happened in histor- historically in internment camps, and now they're just saying that the Yurei was the cause of some of these things to show us them. I think that he's not being haunted at all out here. Oh. I don't believe that he is being introduced to anything spiritual at all in this moment. Oh. I think that his his paranoia is getting the better of him, and it's causing him to misinterpret the signs of reality that are going on around him. Oh. And what they're doing is they're showing us that things that are explainable by the supernatural can on the same side on the other side of the coin can also be explained through the terrifying actions of man. So when we move forward with Cretendon, Cretendon's a man that they're looking for. They had a they had a uh, battalion of troops that went missing and he was the only one they didn't find the body of, so they're assuming he's alive. And he finds the uh, Buen I believe, uh, code within the uh, the Wabun code within the belt of all the POWs that were killed. We do get a little historical accuracy here where both sides were fairly flippant with the Geneva Convention or how they treated their prisoners of war. Mm. Um, there's instances where Americans would take prisoners and then they would end up in camps or in jail until the end of the war and they were given back. But there's also many instances of American soldiers indiscriminately killing 
prisoners of war. Um, it's not as well documented because obviously it's war who's around to just document when mm-hmm. people are murdering others. Uh, but we get Chester speaking out against that. Uh, were you surprised by their, their, their storytelling showing that the American soldiers were killing active POWs? Um, no, I wasn't really surprised. I, I kind of like that they show kind of, you know, both sides and because I don't personally just because I've read, a, you know, some historical books and you not like not every they're not innocent, I guess. And I think it's good that they show, you know, that they're not perfect. I mean, for me personally, it's <laughs> just it's, it's a little ironic, obviously, this scenario, because he's Japanese, Chester's Japanese or American Japanese, let me put it that way, right? Mm-hmm. So he basically lives in this country, right? But then what the what the writers did in my eyes and from my perspective is that they're trying to create a situation where the white people now inside of this military camp are trying to fight against their own people, but more from a, hey, I'm white, you are still Japanese kind of thing. And then at the end of the day, outside the military camp, they are fighting the Japanese. So it's kind of this ironic situation a little bit that even Chester now be seeing a little bit more as a Japanese like before is even helping those white people to find the next solution of moving forward outside of the military camp, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the show is definitely... The shows definitely have a handed. Obviously, when you have an actor like George Takai involved with a show like this, if you guys don't follow George or any of the, the charities and the things that he supports, he is a very huge, outspoken person for making sure that the history and the true history, not the propaganda history mm-hmm. of how the Japanese were, how Japanese Americans were treated during World War II. Um, there's lots of books out there, as you were saying, on Ace, and there's lots of history there. Um, and it's not just the Japanese. Obviously, there are situations where the Germans were treated this way, German Americans were treated in the same ways, but it's just not as prevalent because there is a huge underlying uh, skin tone, look, racism that goes along with this part of our history. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're dealing with that, obviously, you know, there's there's great movies that go over it. Uh, I'm a big fan of Wind Talkers. Wind Talkers is a Nicolas Cage movie where they deal with the Navajo uh, speakers where they're, they look very similar to uh, the people they're against in that war as well. So there's a lot of this play with that racism. And the show does a really great job with it as well. So Chester is obviously dealing with having to constantly reiterate the fact that he's an American. His yeah. side is the Americans. He's not a, a Japanese spy. He's not a Japanese soldier. He's a American whose ancestry is from Japan. Mm-hmm. And that's where, unfortunately, when you're dealing with a show that's written this way, or even when you're dealing with real life, people don't want to care about that. They just see what they see, and they yeah. make their impressions based and on that. I, I like that they, you know, they touch upon that, because that's something that unfortunately it's still relevant today you know with you know people being deported you know that more, more people saying oh go back to your country and they're like i was born here like <laughs> you know so you know it's still stuff like that you know those attitudes still yeah, unfortunately it's, exist it's a very yeah. relevant uh it's a very relevant topic of conversation that this show is bringing uh let's move on i do want to talk about what the wagon code is because i looked it up on wikipedia uh it's japanese text in morse code it's a oh. form of morse code used to send japanese text unlike international morse code which represents letters of the latin script in wagon each symbol represents a Japanese kana. For this reason, Wabunkon is also sometimes called the kana code, which I think is really interesting that the American soldiers don't know to look out for that because they may see, like, they may be looking straight at something that they're just completely interpreting as something 
insignificant. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, because he has that value as knowing the history, he was brought up by a very traditionally Japanese family in Henry and Asako. He can notice these things that are just so valuable to the American uh, military in this. Our next scene with him is he's reading this book as dirt is falling out. Mm. And it's pretty... We're really expecting like some kind of the ring or the grudge style <laughs> hand to come out of the book or something. And then we learn that he's just kind of like hallucinating mm-hmm. and reading the future within a book. It's uh, it's a very big play on a very like lots of famous horror tropes where people are watching like a security camera and then as they see the security camera, it's entering their room and seeing them and then they turn around, they get murdered. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty standard trope. Uh, but in this, he learns about the giant's door and he learns about from the diary of this Japanese soldier where they were taking people and where they were camped out, which was only a kilometer away from where the Americans were camped out, mm. yeah. which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you expect... How did you expect this going at first when he started reading about how close they were and that they had found the tent? I didn't see it as a hallucination at first at all. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I mean, I feel obviously there is, for me personally, there is a bad spirit around. There is yeah. something around for sure. And I think even if it's a bad spirit, this spirit wants him to discover that yeah, on purpose. Yeah, I thought that too. Like, because, I there was something that was trying to tell him, like, Yeah, where, because this whole scenario yeah. with the book, when he sees that falling out the book and he basically learns about the giant's door, is triggering everything that happens after it, if you think about it for a second. So I feel like it's all planned out in a way for him. I would argue that he was translating a book and went into a delusional dream state to misinterpret what he's reading and translating in because the book. Because of lack of sleep? Or? Yeah, I mean, you have to... Have you guys ever gone 48 hours without sleep? I have. <laughs> I, that's the longest I've actually I been trying, but... without, for, without sleep was 48 hours, and people thought I was drunk because you're, you act like... Yeah, your, it's crazy. Your motor fun- functions fail. Mm-hmm. You get the chills constantly. You mm. keep, like, half coming in and out oh. of this conscious state. Mm. And once you get up to 72 hours, it's even more noticeable. And you start... It's, it's basically the equivalent of being on drugs at that mm. point. Um, and we have to examine this from the perspective of this is somebody who hasn't slept in three-plus days. And he's constantly trans. He's translating books that are meant to have codes of people who are out there trying to kill him. It's like a conglomeration of paranoia meets lack of sleep. And even then, there's historical records of like guerrilla warfare and psychological warfare. Where uh, in Vietnam, they would play over loudspeakers, different like curses and things like that. Um, in in Japan, like you would have people who would find a camp, but they can't go and kill everyone in the camp, so they would make it look like a beast or something had ripped open the sheet. Like so, there's there's a lot of truth to a lot of the things that they're saying, and I but, still am not quite convinced that there's a ghost involved out in the canal. So if I understand you correctly, you argue that if he would have had enough sleep, he wouldn't even discover this giant door. Is no, that what you're saying? That's not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying the giant door and everything about it is in the book. It's right. straight up right there. He's just hallucinating based on his 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 situation. Right. Everything in the book is there. The moment he starts hallucinating is when he starts reading about finding and going into the tent of himself. Mm. Okay. Uh, so right. we can move on to finding Cretendon at the giant store. They do find Cretendon, and he is worse for wear. Yeah. He's continuously <laughs> saying. I will cut out your tongue, I will gouge out your eyes, I will kill you. That's what made me think it was Yuko, too, because that's what she did in the last episode. Well, at least the tongue part, so... Mm -hmm. Wait, oh no, she didn't gouge out uh, the other guy's eyes, she just, like, blinded him, but... 
Yeah. So I yeah. I mean, somehow right now watching this episode, I get a feeling that she is not really against Chester for some some reason. I don't know why I think that, but I don't mm-hmm. know. At the beginning, I thought that when we watched the first episodes, I feel like she's definitely after him. She wants to do something bad to him. But now I feel like she's not really. She's trying I feel to. Like maybe. She, I, yeah. I don't know what she's trying. I still don't get her to be honest. But like, she's not completely against Chester. That's my point. I think she wants him maybe for something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it might not be to yeah, kill probably. him, but like she, she wants him for something because you know she's. Yeah. You know, I don't know because she's you know still... he left the internment camp. It seems I thought maybe because of her, and then she was with Luce and the baby. So it's like she's kind of around in his let's universe. Get in, <laughs> let's get into that in predictions to see what Yuko really wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Kretendon's rescued, but then at night he goes out. We're back to where the episode started, mm-hmm. where he's out at night. He's just kind of looking around. The pots and pans start right. rattling again. Again, giving you a very supernatural feel. And then soldiers come in, and they're bringing Kretendon along. They start lynching him, and then Kretendon flamethrows all of them. Hmm. And repeats his saying that they are the white devil and they will kill the white devil. So Kretendon also mentions that he's under orders from Admiral Takahashi, right. which was a real admiral at the time, uh, up until Pearl Harbor as well, in historical hmm. accuracy. Um, so... This is also another thing that is historically accurate in terms of brainwashing on both sides. Uh, lots of soldiers were brainwashed into uh, basically insanity um, through various torture methods. Uh, whether or not this is what they did to Cretendon or Cretendon was originally a spy, mm-hmm. I can't say for sure because we haven't seen anything. Mm-hmm. But I think this is just really to showcase the horrors of war. Let's move on to the letters. Um, in his letter... He mentions not sleeping, paranoia. He mentions he gets a new camera, which is really great because obviously one of the biggest parts of this character is the fact that he's a photographer. Mm -hmm. And we're obviously going back to all these stigmas of when you take a picture of a spirit, it's like morphed in some way. Um, But I thought it was really interesting. I believe it was a primrose that he put in the letter when he sent it to Luce. Mm -hmm. And the, the American meaning for a primrose in English is eternal love, but the Japanese meaning is desperate. So I think it was really interesting as she's opening the letter next to his mother, Asako, because she's getting one interpretation and Asako's sitting there getting an entirely different interpretation. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't so that know was a that really I really liked that scene. I That's thought it was really, really smart. Um, but did you guys have anything to mention about Chester before we move on to Luz? Mm, well, I just feel really bad <laughs> about him at the end because he doesn't know. He doesn't know yet about his. Yeah, I mean, I children. like. I like his. Honestly, I like the scene when he's basically fighting the other officer, right? When he's basically trying to make him feel like I'm an officer, almost like you, like yourself, right? I'm not just a translator here right now. I'm telling yeah. you something. Yes. You should better believe what mm-hmm. I'm saying because I have my Japanese ancestry. I know what I'm talking about. And when he said that and he's I, one of them too. And I like the scene how you can see the shift of power for a second. And then the other one is trying to take over again. I really like that scene because it shows that he basically is basically just trying to help them because he feels like this is still my community. I was born mm-hmm. and raised here too, right? Yeah. So I'm just trying to help you guys. And he feels that too, the officer, the other one. So he basically calms down at some point, which is interesting. You know? I mean, yeah, there is a there is an entire generation of Japanese exactly. who were born in America yeah. and were treated like less than American citizens. Exactly. Uh, that's a very it's a very huge point of this show. Yeah, good scene. Uh, good scene. Let's because we have nothing left to lose. <laughs> let's move on to lose. But before we do, uh, we want to let you guys know that we are the ESPN of TV Talk for only one reason. You know what that reason is, guys? We 
you, That's the true. fans out there, because if you didn't love TV, we would have no reason to do these shows, aside from our personal love of TV. But we have a whole network for it called AfterBuzz TV, where we cover over 100 different after shows every single week and provide over 150 hours of content every single week in both YouTube and podcast form. So if you want us to keep doing it, please hit that subscribe button, hit the thumbs up button right now, uh, dive into live chat, and also comment after this video is over, because we will it saves the comments after the video is over, but the live chat goes away. So if you want to chat with us, chat with me, uh, hit us up on Twitter. We'll give them at the end of the show, but right now you can just hit that thumbs up and subscribe. So, moving on to Loose, let's go ahead and start with... uh, We can skip Yuko the Midwife, because that's going to be covered during the birth. Let's go into Henry. I thought this was really awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, We get her letter that's being written to Chester, and it's talking about when she was growing up, she always had such a high importance on family, but it was never her family that she put it on. She would always dream of seeing herself surrounded by a a massive family. Mm -hmm. And that's also what makes this episode so devastating, is that Mm -hmm. she was going to have her twins and going to have her family, and now she's not. Uh, What did you think of how they decided to move forward with the storyline between her and Henry, thinking I mean, based on last episode, he really was not happy that she was even introduced to him. Yeah, I thought it was so I love the scene where she goes in and she was reading to Henry in Japanese and basically telling him that, you know, we're not going to forget you your children will still kind of keep your memory oh, grandchildren, (laughs) grandchildren will still keep your memory alive Mm -hmm. and, you know, how sweet it was that she said that, you know, she would name one of her sons after him and I just, oh, I just love that scene and so the fact that, like, they kind of made up in that scene is also another reason why I think you know the ending kind of made me more sad just because like they were starting to explain he was like starting to accept her and the children and everything mm-hmm. so which uh, basically tells me that the writer exactly achieved what they wanted because mm-hmm. that was the whole idea about this episode now lo- watching the end which is very clear to me listening to the letters they're talking about the letters they just talk to you they don't really you can't really read it they just talk about it then the whole scenario with with Luz and the dad and then out of a sudden she like Enrique is a beautiful name I like that name and mm-hmm. we all like oh my god yeah the family comes together and boom she loves it's like she we're getting twins. all happy and so like, they did a no. great job like <laughs> poof. what they're really <laughs> what they're really showing in the in this is that not only were the Japanese community affected by World <laughs> War II, and the, the ramifications are way past that. Um, obviously, this is somebody who didn't even need to be in these camps in the first place, and she's now giving to t- giving birth to twins to somebody who is, I believe they said he was a veterinarian, or something. He's just not that position, that kind of doctor. Um, I did really like where we see Henry kind of seeing her with the chopsticks, seeing that she's trying. It's mm-hmm. like an attempt to assimilate into their culture, yeah. which was really interesting. And then... What gives, just to throw to when we go to predictions, what really clues into the fact that Yuko isn't out for blood and Yuko isn't really something that's malicious in in in, in concept is the advice that she gives to Luce regardless of the children at that point. Luce is worried about Henry hating her and she says Henry just doesn't want to be forgotten. And I think this is really interesting because... Right now, the the entire concept of what we're dealing with with the yure and what we what we go over in episodes one and two is that the spirits from the old followed them to America, and the the entire point of that is the Japanese people left Japan, they left their ancestry to start a new life in America, and it's like, do they forget their ancestry and assimilate, or do they hold on to it and be? Uh, I'm trying to think of the word, have a bias towards them in this new America that they're in while we're going through this world war. And they feel that they're being 
chastised and punished for forgetting about the spirits of the old thing. And that's what the Yure has brought over. And when you go into with uh, Henry, it's just very telling that Yuko says kind of what we're imagining she's experiencing. She's a spirit of the old that's being forgotten in terms of this new generation. So she might even have a connection with Henry that may show up to protect him later. That's kind of like a inclination that I have. Oh, okay. Um, I, point, did, yeah, I did love that that she says, your grandchildren who are soon to be born will treat you with great respect and always remember you. Even when you are called to heaven, they will keep your memory alive. If a boy is born, his Spanish name will be given in your honor and will be Enrique. If you don't like that, choose another name that you prefer. Mm-hmm. So it's really great speech. And it really plays to the humanity side of within everyone. It's like nobody wants to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And when you're thrown into World War II, where it's like, hey, everything that you've just built in America that you've worked so hard for his car everything that he's tried to attain for his family has been ripped away from him in the series of like nine months Mm. Mm -hmm. so it's it's a really it's a really telling thing that like his memory and his lineage is what he is very attached to uh we do get the implication of the twins uh in japanese culture twins used to be like 1800s and earlier like long time ago uh a sign of an ill omen and they would sometimes kill one or both twins Oh my gosh! Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, that's what I. Th- right. That's kind of what I. I had a feeling that that's what they would do when they were kind of like, n- like not happy <laughs> about the twins. So, so that's what leads us to the doctor, and that whether or not the doctor, because he is an older man, he could be very tied in with the the cultures and customs of. But I I do believe that customs very outdated. But maybe it was magnified by the fact that they're in these internment camps and a sign of bad luck can just lead to even worse and worse things. Mm. So I'll leave it to you guys to think whether or not the doctor had something to do with killing the babies. I think my theory is that he didn't actually kill him, but like they were actually like stillborn and he just like didn't really fight or try it because I think in a way like I don't know, it sounds kind of bad, but like I think they were already dead, but he in a way he was kind of like... Like he didn't try to save them. He was them too laissez-faire with the with the situation because he kind of knew that they well, and he maybe he did believe that they were bad luck. So he's like, I'm not going to try to save them because they're already dead. So I don't know. I don't know. I felt like if he didn't believe in that, he would have at least tried, and he didn't try. So I'm like, maybe in a way, like he was kind of. I don't well, in a, in a way, he he really opened himself up to being killed at the end, literally yeah. Yeah. Uh, being true. opened up. Uh, in the camp, we have the Oban Fest going on uh, with the lanterns and things, basically to ward off the demons. And the demon is now angry at him. Comes in the mask, which is the iconic mask we see in the trailers, which is really awesome. I thought oh, this scene so was seen, filmed very well. <laughs> oh, uh, her silently entering and him being like, "Get out of here! Get out of here!" before she removes it. And bam, she is worse for wear. It's mm. not going to be a little bit of skin and sewing. Great makeup. A little bit of a 1943 facelift going on here. <laughs> yeah, for Oof. sure. Uh, Good uh, Halloween idea. <laughs> Halloween costume idea. If you want to scare someone, that's a that you can do that as a costume. So after the babies die, obviously we have the montage of she wrote a letter to Chester telling him that they were alive. We don't really see the ramifications of this yet, but it's going to be a very sad reunion when the babies are not. And also we see Yuko walk away with one baby. I know that they had like the funeral after that. So I don't know if she kept the corpse of the baby or not. It's just throwing it out there because I did notice her walk away with it. Um, 
we get the suicide of Nestler at the camp, which is just one of the Marines who walks in after seeing in Barracks 36 the light being on, catches Yuko with her hair off her head and looking worse for wear, falling apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. And he jumps off a building with a bottle that we learn was a moonshine sake. Uh, we see that we find out that it was the Yoshidas who made the sake. Walt takes the fall for it, and the admiral says one's just as good as another. Uh, another very racist moment uh, where they know he, they, the the Marines and the soldiers know that Nestler killed himself. They need to make an example because they're just trying to enforce the fact that they have control over these people. Mm-hmm. I was worried when Asako went to that barracks. What were you thinking was going to happen when Henry's mother, or sorry, not, uh, Chester's mother went to the barracks at the request of Luz? Um, I, for some reason, I was not that worried for Asako because I feel like so far Yuko has been going after men. So I felt like she just she, like kind of how she befriended Luz. Maybe she would kind of befriend Asako or something like that. So for some reason, like I wasn't really, I thought she would just kind of be friendly with Asako. I didn't think that she would hurt, hurt her. Yeah, I was expecting that they definitely meet. I was just, I was hoping that there's kind of a dialogue or something that's happening. I, I didn't think that she's going to die or something like that, but that she's definitely going to meet Yuko and something is just happening. So I was a little disappointed, to be honest. You do raise a really great point, though, Anais, that she has not really interacted with women on the show fairly at all. It seems to be a male-only yure. Good point. Mm-hmm. Which I think would be really interesting to explore. Um, we are running out of time, so I want to go ahead and get into our special segment of the night. Yeah, just just very quickly, which is a crazy. We're talking about injustice cases in the United States, and I have one case from 2001. Her name is Kirsten Lobato. You see the picture of her here right now, and just a very quick story about her. So she was basically 18 years old when she spent the night at a motel in Las Vegas, and she was actually attacked by a guy, right? But she ran off, so she was saved. And but she talked to her friends about that story, what happened to her, mm-hmm. but she didn't go to the police. She didn't say anything at all, right? Because she was like, ah. I don't want to make a big thing out of it you know i'm cool but the friend one of the friends basically talked to her teacher about that and the teacher was kind of terrified about it so he went to the police mm-hmm. and that was in may 2001 and then in july 2001 a guy basically died around the same area right mm-hmm. and the police obviously heard already about the, the case with with the kirsten right and they thought that she now killed the guy that she basically wanted to go back to him and basically just kill him for what he did to her. So they didn't really investigate it that much, right? They basically just asked her about the situation that happened to her in May, and she started screaming, she started crying, and said, yeah, he attacked me, and then automatically they assumed, okay, you must have killed this guy. And she went to prison for 16 years. For 16 years. So she years. got out, what, last she two got, years ago? She got, definitely. She got out two years ago, but it took 16 years, guys. Oh think about gosh. that. To prove and that she was... To prove that she was actually not the killer. She didn't do anything. She just wanted to make it quiet, to keep it calm, right? But I just wanted to ask you guys very quickly, and also to you guys uh, at home, how do you feel about the system right now? How much information do we actually need to make sure we don't we don't have you know? enough time for that conversation <laughs> but, yeah, but please you can tell yeah, us some comments just comments. write some comments and tell us about it because 16 years is a long time i just want to have your opinion on what you think should be taken in place in order to find out who the real murder is you know yeah that would be great and let's go ahead and move into our news and gossip oh, shoot. <laughs> 
throw to you, Anais. All right, so real quick, just to let you know some exciting news um, about the next few episodes of our after show. We're going to have guests the next four after shows. Uh, next week, we're going to have Miki Ishikawa, uh, who plays Amy, then Hira Ambrosino, who plays Fumi, then Derek Mio, who plays Chester, and Lee Shorten, who plays Walter. So please watch our next four after shows and all the ones after that, too. You're Chester coming in? That's awesome. Um, so that's- she did a great job, guys. She's <laughs> killing it. So I dug up some information about the yurei, and it means that it, uh, ruined soul, that's what it translates to, then that it, it's a ghost soul that is still re- restless and unable to pass onto the afterlife. And according to Tim Screech, a professor of Japanese art history at the University of London, he said that yurei are ghosts of those who at the moment of death were deprived of the time to repose themselves. And the soul of the Japanese person is cut off too soon, and they're left to mope through a sorry existence until it's properly laid to rest. But mm. it will never allow itself to be laid to rest until its purpose for remaining among the living, usually revenge, has been fulfilled. And the look of, like, in Japanese folklore of a traditional yurei is, you know, woman, like, long stringy hair, white... Uh, white kimono, very Yeah, white pale. kimono, usually, like, floating and stuff, so... Um, there's another whole story, but we're kind of running out of time, so I can't really talk about it. But um, Ale- creator Alexandra Wu said that we're going to get a little bit more into Yuko's st- uh, backstory of, of when she was alive in episode six. So, Ooh, yeah. nice. I'm excited that. about that. Yeah. Um, we don't really have time for predictions, so let's shout out one sentence of what you think is going to happen next episode. Your After Buzz TV predictions. Oh, shoot. Um, uh, I don't know. Sorry, <laughs> I didn't have time to think about it. I think Chester's going to meet Admiral Takahashi. Ooh, that's a that's an interesting one. Oh yeah, I think Chester's going to realize that there's no ghost where he is, mm-hmm. and he's going to realize that his entire plan of luring the Yure away from his family is for moot, and he'll do everything in his power to get back to the camp to try to protect what family he has left. Wow, especially with knowing his newborn babies are there, even though. He doesn't know they're not. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show. This has been the Terror After Show for Season 2, Episode 4, The Weak Are Meat, The Strong Eat. I've been your moderator for the today's episode, Stephen Lemieux. You can find me on Twitter, at Stephen Lemieux. And every Monday, producing Maria Menounos' podcast, Better Together with Maria Menounos. If you want to better yourselves and learn to get better and help yourself through health and wellness, go ahead and find that on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review for the shout-out on the show. Where can we find you on ice? You can find me on Instagram at more than you think seven and the Secreto de Selena after show and after Buzz Latino. Perfect. And Ben? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram. It's at Benjamin Schnau, also the same name on Facebook. And I also do Pennyworth on Sunday, 7 p.m. And I also do Bring the Funny, 8 p.m. on Tuesday. And also right before that, I do The Dark in German for you guys. Check All it right. Out. Thank you so much. And we'll see you guys next Monday at... Right? 6 p.m.? 7 p.m. We'll see you then. And me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.